So we are going to be at the very end of John 8. Um, I'm actually going to have you guys read it. Something that I like about the Gospels is that we get a couple different renditions sometimes of the same story that we can go and read from different authors' perspectives, and it can fill it out a little bit. So this morning, I'm actually going to read the same story, but out of Mark, because I feel like he just adds a little bit of extra description and fullness to the story. But um, before I tell you where we're going to be, here's the thing that I like about reading along and watching Jesus's interaction. We've been talking about this for weeks now. We get to see in the physical things that mirror something God wants us to know is true about our spiritual lives that we can't see the intangible, right? Um, So when we have looked at all of these stories of Jesus interacting with different people, that he comes across like individuals and he just meets them on their path and they're sick or he's healing or they're accusing him of things, we get to see a lot about and learn and understand a lot about God's heart for like mankind in general and humanity. We get to see how he views us, whether we're a believer or not, whether we're rich or poor, healthy or sick. We get to like understand through all of these different miracles, because especially John 8 was full of a number. It was like story after story after story of Jesus's interactions with these different individuals that he comes across. And from that, it gives us this broad picture of God's heart for humanity in general and what he wants our heart to be for the people that we come across and how he wants us to treat each other, how he wants us to behave, what he wants us to be about. But then there are the stories that we get led in on that are like slightly different than that. And this is what stood out to me this time. We get also to be led in on the stories of the interactions between Jesus and his disciples, which I feel like there's a difference to note there because This is like the small little group of men that he has invited in to live all of life with him, right? He's not just going on his journey and meeting individuals all the time. He's got a group of men that he has said, follow me and I will make you into something new. I will transform you. You will become new. Drop everything and follow me. And these are the men that have said yes to that. And so when we're reading those stories, of Jesus's interactions and like what happens when they're all together, we can bet that we are getting a picture of what we can expect our lives in the daily to look like as we have been, at least I'm trusting a lot of you, or when we do make a choice to say, I will drop everything and follow you when we put ourselves in the disciples' shoes like that and we say, I am a follower of Jesus, I am a disciple of Jesus, I am living my life following Jesus, then we can look at these stories as an example of what we can expect to be true of our lives now as well. So what, what we're seeing in the physical representation of Jesus walking around in the disciple, or with the disciples, we can expect to translate to what is a true experience for us as we follow Jesus in our lives now. Does that make sense? Um, So what I like about reading these stories and what I want to look at today is what is this story telling me about what is true or what I can expect to be true as I just go about my life of following Jesus? What What does it look like for God to grow and nurture and transform 
us as followers of Jesus into the people of God. Um, so this morning I want to look at one of those stories. Um, so here's the thing. If we put ourselves in the stories of the Gospels as we read them, we can expect that the experiences that are happening there are going to be mirrored some, in some way in our life. Um, sorry. <laughs> My head is really foggy and hurting. Um, okay. So put yourself in that place right now and kind of step into the stories that we've been reading of the disciples walking along with Jesus and what you might have been seeing were you one of the disciples back then and see if it mirrors things that you have experienced in your life right now. So sometimes we see as we're walking along in our journey and our growth in our relationship with Jesus as we're getting to know God, sometimes we see him do really cool things, right? We see him heal people around us. We see him perform miracles. We see him using us like the disciples did to pray for other people because Jesus is walking the disciples through a lot of experiences of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And he's sometimes sending them out and he's being like, you pray for these people. You perform these miracles. You cast out these demons. You be part of this miracle. You feed, the, you give them something to eat. We've read a number of these different stories where we're seeing that part of following Jesus is being used by him and being like, used to be part of the exciting things that Jesus's ministry is doing. Other times he's teaching us and we're confused and we're coming to him and we're being like, I don't understand what I've been reading, Lord, tell me more. We see the disciples doing that so we can expect that that's part of our relationship with God. Other times um, I think of the story where the disciples are just eating <laughs> with Jesus and they're, uh, you hear John describe himself as reclining against uh, Jesus's knees and he just calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved and I feel like that's true of my experience of walking with Jesus and being a follower of Jesus that sometimes I'm just feeling like I know you Lord and I feel safe and I feel secure in my relationship with you and I'm just communing with you God and I think that that's true of being a follower of Jesus but then sometimes we're going along and we find ourselves swept up in the storms of life too, right? Like that also is a depiction and can be a story where we look and go, this is part of life as a follower of Jesus. Is we, read, we can read this story where the disciples find themselves in a storm and that's where we're gonna be this morning. Um, I wanna ask you to go to Mark chapter four, verse 35, and even though we've been reading through did i say john chapter eight we're in luke <laughs> oh you guys oh um okay we've been reading luke eight in case any of you were confused by that this is not a bible study on john but anyway um so i want to read the story out of mark chapter four this morning because i really like um sorry oh Yes, you can go to Mark, but I, for some reason, wrote John chapter 8 at the top of my notes here, which we're not in either. Oh, so glad this is being recorded, you guys. Yep. Awesome. For those of you listening to the recording, just come. It's way more fun in person. Um, all right, so turn with me to Mark chapter 4, and I'm going to get us back on track. These head colds for me really mess with me because they make me feel like I'm like walking in a cloud. Um, all right, 
Listen to the description of this story, and I'm just going to stop us a couple times when we're in it. <coughs> Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Okay, I already have to stop, because note this. Jesus's idea. This story is Jesus's idea. I hadn't noticed that before. He is the one who invites them. He says, let's go get in the boat and go across the lake. We know some things about Jesus. He's all-knowing, right? He knows what's coming. So this whole story is not a surprise to him. It doesn't come unexpectedly to him. His idea is for the disciples to get into the boat and sail off into what he knows is about to become a huge storm. I think that we can already rest there for a second and see some similarities and see some truths about what we can expect life to look like as a follower of Jesus. It does not mean that because he can see the future, he is always going to navigate us around every storm. All right, let's keep going. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. <coughs> so I know that we are talking a lot um, when we take these stories. We are doing that thing where we transfer them into what it means for us and our lives and our stories now. But I don't want us to get so ethereal and conceptual up in our heads that we don't remember that this literally happened. So they're literally in a boat, if you can put yourself there and you can picture that. It's calm, and then I read all this stuff as I was studying this about what that sea was like and how it was not protected by different wind. And so it was very normal for sudden squalls to just come upon this lake. So picture them, they are, these are skilled fishermen and they're freaking out. So this was a big storm and it says that water is starting to fill up inside the boat. So if you can picture a little bit of that setting, it is pretty panicked, it is pretty crazy, it is pretty scary and the water is like filling the boat. It's fast and fierce. And then it says, but he, meaning Jesus, was in the stern asleep on the cushion. Oh, isn't this what I sometimes feel like when I'm in the midst of a storm? I feel like, are you even watching down here or are you just comfy and asleep up there? Like, I feel like sometimes when things get crazy in my life and it feels, especially when it feels sudden and unexpected and I feel like my life is taken on water and I am going down, I feel like waving my arms at the Lord and being like, are you even paying attention? Did you just fall asleep on the job? Did you just peel your eyes from me? Do you even see me down here because I'm drowning and you're just asleep in your comfy state up there, completely unaware? And so the disciples are feeling like this and they're looking and seeing Jesus sleeping beneath the stern on a cushion and they wake him up and here's where I want to stop for a little bit. They say to him, I feel like there's such a revealing truth in these words that they say to him. They wake him up and they say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not even care? Jesus, I can just, I could just cry remembering how many times this has been my heart's cry to the Lord when I find myself in the midst of this. Do you not even care what this feels like to me? 
when I, um, when Ryan and I for, were first married, we thought we couldn't have kids. <laughs> Joke's on us. <laughs> but that was a good two years where I was like, do you not even care what this whole rest of my life is going to feel like right now? Do you only care that I obey you? It was a really big time of wrestling in my life where I was like, I, I'll follow you. I'll say yes, but like, do you not even care what my experience in this lifetime ends up feeling like? The irony is that when I had too many children, I did the same thing. When I found myself unexpectedly pregnant with my fifth, oh man, it was a good nine-month struggle where I was like, I mean, I'm not turning away. I will follow you, but this is going to be hard, and do you not even care? I don't know if I can do this well, and do you not even care? Are you just not even watching? Take a second and pause and take a pulse on your own heart when you find yourself in storms. Does your heart ask that question to Jesus? This is the loss of job. This is the sickness, the cancer, the broken relationships. This is the inconvenience (laughs) that we run into in our lives. The thing that brings out the heart cry of us, do you not even care? Isn't it true that um, when the storms hit in our lives, and it feels like we're taking off on water, and we honestly do feel like, I'm about to drown here in my life, that one of the most hurtful things is that in our relationship with Jesus in that moment, we can feel like he's sleeping, like he doesn't even see us, like he pulled his eyes from us for a second, and we're kind of on our own, and we feel a little abandoned. I think that the first thing that rings true for me in this story about my relationship with Jesus As I've said, I will be a follower of you and I will walk with you through all of life, which includes storms, is that often my fear that gets stirred up in my heart when I find myself in places isn't just about the circumstances. It's about what we're allowing those circumstances to do to our view of Jesus and how he feels about us. And it makes a really big difference. I know for me, I have, a, I have a pretty big view of God. I don't struggle as much with the all-powerful side of God, which the disciples could be struggling with. They're in a literal physical danger and threat right now. And so it could be about, can anyone even save us? But I imagine probably that it's not. I don't always, I don't so much struggle with God can't, heal my friend with cancer. God can't change my circumstances. My heart's struggle is usually with, but I don't know if he will. I don't know if he's willing. And I imagine that the disciples had to have been feeling somewhat of a similar thing because they had just walked with him through all of the stories that we read previous to this one, where he had done all sorts of crazy miracles in front of them. He had healed all sorts of people, right? I think by now he has even raised from the dead. They have watched his power. They have seen it. And so I imagine that this do you not even care that we are perishing question comes more from a place similar to mine where it's like, Jesus, what what about me? Like you just did all of this stuff. You used your power for all of these other people. We're the ones here walking with you. What about me? Do you not even care about me? 
Do I get skipped in the way that your power works to change people's circumstances? And I think that question, when it takes root in our hearts, um, evokes a lot of fear because it shakes our story and our picture of who up until now we had kind of thought God was. We had kind of thought Jesus, how we had kind of thought Jesus felt about us. I remember, um, <coughs> it's funny, I alluded to the fact that I have five kids and that I majorly struggled with that last pregnancy. Um, and it's just funny how many people have come into my life because of that. I seriously know probably, gosh, I don't know, like five or six moms who have had unexpected number five <laughs> babies. And it's like people just know my story and so they connect me. So I have gotten an opportunity to talk to, for whatever reason, a lot of moms who have found themselves in unexpected pregnancies. And I was talking to this one mom. Um, she's had her baby now, so about a year or so ago. And she was just asking me, um, she was saying, I just don't know why I'm struggling so much. I have four other kids. I do know it's going to be okay. And I'm kind of like, she was describing to me how she was just like, she was embarrassed that this was so hard for her to come to terms with the fact that her life was going to change again and her picture was changing. And um, I remember feeling the same way. Uh, I had a lot of people be really vocal to me about how um, transparent I was about how much I was struggling with this unexpected pregnancy and um, feeling like, don't you know how insensitive that seems? Some people can't, they're struggling to even have children. And so this, like, she was really kind of in that place of feeling like, there's some people that can't even have babies. Why has this brought me so much to my knees? And why can't I just get it together and know that it's gonna be okay. I know that I will love my baby when she comes. And I stopped her right there and I said, you're confusing your circumstances with the reason why you're feeling so much fear right now. This isn't about whether you can handle having another baby. This is because God just did some, something that you didn't expect him to do. And your picture of him and your solidity in what he, how he feels towards you and whether he's paying attention has been shaken. And you're standing here now on shaky ground going, I don't even know who you are, God. I didn't expect you to do this and I don't even know if you care anymore. And, that's, and you feel a little abandoned by him and that's why you're struggling so much in this place of fear. This isn't about your circumstances. I think that kind of pain and fear can often feel like the worst. Um, and I think what's true from this story is that we can expect that any time we enter any sort of storm, whether our circumstances look completely different than the friend in our small group that is talking about the storm in her life, and whether we can look at her and be like, I don't even understand why this is so hard for you. And we don't get each other's circumstances and why they bring us to our knees when we do. The thing that we can expect to be true of every storm for us is that the lie can creep in, it has from the beginning of time, this silent whisper, this like quiet little whisper that says, God doesn't really love you. He's not really paying attention. He's not gonna step in and rescue you. He's not who you thought he was. If he was, he wouldn't have allowed this. It's the seed of doubt and this question that causes us to wonder at the heart of God. And I think that's 
the place in their disciples' relationship with Jesus that they find themselves to. I want to challenge us to listen to the subtext of our fear when we find ourselves in the storms. Not just looking at the circumstances and figuring out, if those circumstances went away, then I wouldn't feel so afraid. Um, take a look at your heart's response when the storms come and consider what it is that your heart is doing, why it's responding the way that it does. Jesus literally does this with the disciples when they wake him up. He, he literally pushes past the circumstances and he asks them, what is going on in your heart right now? Let's keep reading verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. So he immediately, this time, calms the circumstances. And now they're just sitting in the calm of the sea around, probably still very wide-eyed and shaken and the, like drenched from the storm. And Jesus turns to him and he turns to them and he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? The other thing that I notice is that Jesus isn't really upset with them for waking him up. I think I have read this story before and been like, well, what were they supposed to do? Like, just let you keep sleeping under the stern and, and drown? Of course not. And were they supposed to just be like, hey, uh, Jesus, no big deal, but there's like a big storm here. And so if you could maybe take care of that, like, of course they're going to be panicked. Of course they're going to be urgent. Of course they're going to rush to Jesus and wake him up and be like, help us with this. But Jesus knows their heart in their waking of him, in their rushing to him, in their running and calling him in. And he says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith in me? And I think that reveals that what we were talking about, this, this heart questioning of Jesus is really what's going on here in the disciples' relationship with Jesus. Um, if they had fully understood who Jesus was at this point, I do think that they would have woken him up with a different kind of demeanor. Probably not like super chill and no big deal, but I think of like, um, I'm like kind of a panicker and no good in situations. And when Macy was an itty bitty baby, she was sitting right next to me in front of the mirror, putting my makeup on and she put a quarter or a dime in her mouth. I don't know, I wasn't paying attention. And all of a sudden I just look over and she's like starting to choke. And I'm a total panicker, I do not know what to do. But Ryan was in the house. And Ryan is my like solid rock and he knows what to do in every circumstance, at least in my view of him. And so I pick Macy up, I don't handle the situation at all. I just pick her up by the arms and I start running through their house, Ryan! And I like bring her to him and he grabs her and he does the thing and he gets the, coin out, but I think of us running to Jesus in that way. I had full confidence. I didn't worry that Ryan would be like, uh, can you handle that? Or what, you know, like, but I wasn't afraid. I was just like, I need you to do something about this right now. And I ran to him in a confident, but still very needy place. Here's the thing. I think there are real storms that we run into our life. There are in our lives, in our following of Jesus, there's legitimate things that are threatening that are painful and dangerous and hard and hurtful. And we do need Jesus's help navigating them. We need to run to him, we need to lean into him, we need to ask for his help. But fear is the tell that our belief has been misplaced in who we understand Jesus to be. Have you ever seen somebody's level of fear change based on who they're with? 
If you think about, um, I was thinking about like <coughs> kids when they're lost, right? They're lost in a store, they're lost in a big city, even. There's real threats and dangers around. And if they're by themselves, that is a very scary situation. But as soon as their parent finds them, all of a sudden, all of the fear calms, even though they're still in the city. <laughs> they still couldn't navigate it by themselves. But now there is a parent who is fully capable and fully willing. And so their fear calms. I was thinking, these are silly examples, but you think of like, the panic in the TV shows when the couple is going into labor and they can't make it to the hospital or they're on the side of the road. And there's all sorts of fear because there's no capable person there. And then the ambulance shows up or they make it to the hospital or the doctor is there. And all of a sudden the fear subsides because there's a capable and willing person that has stepped into the circumstances. Um, knowing who you are with in a storm does make all of the difference. Watch what happens to the disciples' understanding of Jesus as we finish out the story. So he calms the storm, and everything is silent and still, and they, and um, verse 40 says, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? What I love is now the disciples are still afraid, but it's a different kind of fear. They're not afraid of the storm anymore. It says that they're filled with a new kind of fear, a great fear. Fear like we talked about last week, actually, where Peter falls on his knees as Jesus performs his power and he says, go away from me, Lord. There's this awe that comes over the disciples and they go, who are we even dealing with here? And what I think is amazing about that is, have you noticed how many times so far that we have been reading Luke and all of these interactions with Jesus? Have you noticed how many times people have said, who is this? I noted it. I didn't put it in my notes, but I went through and there were like four different times just in the last couple chapters where Jesus interacts with people and their response is, who is this? Who are we even dealing with? And sometimes it's because he claims to forgive sins, and sometimes it's because he calms crazy storms. But each person's individual interaction with Jesus brings about this response in their heart of, who even are you? And I love that because the disciples have been walking with Jesus for a very long time now, and we see them do this yet again. And so we can expect that as we walk with Jesus, even for a very, very lifelong time, that we ought to constantly be having that response stirred in our heart. Who even are you, God? You are not who I thought you were. And an awestruck wonder in a great fear coming over us way, we can expect that that is part of what we signed up for. I think that um, this story is really beautiful because it's so incredibly personal. It shows how incredibly intimately involved and invested Jesus is in not just the whole world, knowing his power and demonstrating these miracles to the great crowds, but that he intentionally walks the disciples when it's just going to be them and him. He intentionally walks them into a situation where he goes, 
hold on, I need your view of me to get bigger. There's stuff that you're not seeing yet. Yeah, the person whose hand I just healed, their view of me got bigger. And the father whose daughter I just healed, his view of me got bigger. But I need you guys to experience it too. Every individual person, as they walk their lives with Jesus, needs their view of God bolstered and raised and, and stretched. The storm did these things for the disciples. It did two main things. One, it revealed what their hearts currently didn't quite understand or trust about Jesus, whether that was if he was powerful enough to fix the storm or whether he just cared enough to do it. It revealed their hearts distrust still of who Jesus was to them, how he felt about them. And two, it created this brand new opportunity for God to increase their belief and their understanding of him. This opportunity for yet again, kind of these scales to be peeled off of their eyes and their view of God to get bigger. This storm in this story for the disciples and the storms that we find ourselves walking into, they're all invitations for us to evaluate our view of God and be given a fresh, new, bolstered, raised perspective of who God is and what he's capable of. Don't forget that Jesus purposefully walked them into this storm and that by the end of the story, they are better for it. Their understanding of Jesus is clearer. Their faith in him, their trust and their um, belief is bigger and fresh. Do we, I guess my question is for us this morning, um, and as you go into your small groups, do we trust that this is how God intends to work in our lives as we say that we are followers of Jesus? Um, I was tempted this morning to try to take this story of the disciples' experience and talk about these two amazing things that Jesus is willing and kind and his heart is soft towards us and he does care and he is capable his powerful his power in this storm is demonstrated in amazing ways but i felt like as i kept trying to go to that i felt like maybe the disciples feel like when they're watching jesus heal these other people where it's just this head knowledge level <laughs> that we stay on where we go i know he's powerful i know he's capable and he loves me because this was the disciples' experience. This was what Jesus walked them through. This morning, I want you to consider what God is doing in a similar way for you right now. What he might be purposefully steering you into the eye of, to use the storm language. What he might be allowing to rage on and fill up <laughs> in your lives right now. And are you... Are you allowing that to um, to come into your relationship with God, to let it be about that? Sometimes I can keep circumstances of my life just separate over here. Like, okay, I just got to deal with them. I got to get through them. God doesn't really have anything to do with them. He doesn't care or he can't or he won't. But I know that 
in the seasons of storms in my life, when I recognize the fear bubbling up in me and I have gotten good at turning that into a tell where I recognize my panic and my fear is a tell for me that there is something that I am not believing or trusting about God in his heart for me. And I take that and I wrestle with that anew. I, I can feel myself want to do one of two things. I can want to kind of run from that because God's, my picture of God has just been disrupted and that feels like yucky. And so I want to just go and stay in the high place of just dealing with the circumstance and not let it touch my solid foundation of who I know God to be and how I know he feels about me. But I know that I hear God constantly whispering when I feel myself go into that place, that's fine, wrestle, but stay. Stay right here with me and, and wonder and ask the questions and wrestle with me about how I feel for you and let me broaden my view or your view and understanding of me because I wanna give you a gift of knowing me more. I want to give you the gift of a bigger picture of who I am and how I feel about you. So I want you to spend some time in your small groups this morning talking about what that might be looking like for you guys in your lives as you are walking through life as a disciple of Jesus this morning. All right, you can go ahead and break up. Yeah.